Brother George, that's right, isn't it? That's right, isn't it? That's right. You don't even know what I was talking about. But I appreciate you agreeing with your pastor regardless of what he said. I said, George is going to buy us lunch today. Uh, everybody, the whole church said, that's right, George. And you said, that's right. All right. So let, let's plan on it. I know. It's going to be a little while, David, before we eat. Let me assure you. Hey, for, for several months, if not longer, um, I've been thinking and praying about what God wants to do uh, in our church. And um, so two Sundays from now, I want to start the conversation church-wide. I've already been having some conversations, but church-wide for us to think and to pray together about what God would want us to do. And really what is laid on my heart is that uh, that God would give us a greater impact and we would uh, see more and more what God wants to do in our community but also around the world. Um, I, I got a, as a part of that and just doing some research and all, I got a um, demographic study this week just about our zip code, 75949. How many of y'all live in 75949? I know there's actually a few that don't, and so I know our church stretches outside of that. I understand that. But if you just had to think about what is our um, resp spiritual responsibility? Now, we have responsibilities around the world, quite honestly. We have more than just our local area. But if you had to think about, you know, what is our church really spiritually responsible for you, you know, pretty close, either our school district or our, our zip code, and they're probably 95% the same, but uh, there were some interesting things in this demographic study, and uh, there's about 8,000 people uh, that live in our zip code, 8,000 people. I actually thought it was larger, I think the school district is actually maybe a little bit more, because maybe it has some other areas that it includes, but I want you to wrap your brain around that 8,000. Um, and so, do we, have the do we have a chart, that next one? Is that all in one, or is it in parts? All right, give me the next one then. Let me see what I'm talking about. Um, now, there's a lot of statistical studies about that, those 8,000 people. But just this morning, I want us to think about uh, what the statistics say for our zip code of those who are closely connected to a church, okay? And that's really my phrase, but it's about 44%. And quite honestly, that's significantly above the national average. And so we are a very uh, connected to church kind of zip code, if you might say. And that represents about, about 3,500 people. Um, if I had to put a number, and these are general terms, but um, if I had to put a number to that of the people that were closely connected to our church, just for round numbers, I would say it's about 10% of that are the people that are closely connected to First Baptist Church, which would be about 350 people. Uh, the next one, those who are loosely connected to a church they may not attend very regularly at 
or at all, but there's about 34% of our zip code that are loosely connected to a church or about 2,700 people, or for our purposes, we might say there's 270 people. And so if you get those that are closely connected and loosely connected, you're up just a little over 600 people uh, of the 8,000. You get it? Now, the other group is the group, uh, the next slide. In our, in our little religious zip code, community of Huntington, 23% of people are not connected to a church at all. Couldn't name it, don't go, maybe don't intend to go. That's about 840 people. And I think in my, and I don't know, I'm going to draw one little conclusion. There's a lot of things we could probably talk about. What occurs to me is that many times we get in a certain mindset that then becomes a part of our lifestyle uh, that we kind of get blinded to our community and we think, well, who are the people really we, our church has to reach? Are there really people out there? And what occurs to me, if you take the number, about 600, of the people that are even loosely connected to our church, there are three times that many in our little religious zip code that are not connected to a church at all. And even if we, if we dismiss those who are loosely connected or closely connected to a church, we have a pool or a mission field that is three times the size of our church. And that's, that's accounting for those who are even loosely connected to our church. If there's a pool of about 600 of us, and I know there's 200, 225, somewhere around in there this morning at our church, and um, you realize that it's possible through the years that we, we don't see those people anymore and we then develop a mindset that there's really not people out there that we have to reach. There's not lost people. There's not people that don't have a church home. But it occurs to me, just in general terms, there are three times as many people out there that have no affiliation with any church than even our church uh, has. Now... That's one of the things I want to talk about in the months to come as a church, and that's why I want to invite you um, two weeks, October 20th, we will feed you lunch with the stipulation you stay for the meeting. There will be no to-go containers. <laughs> the preacher and deacons will be stationed at all the exits. Not really, not really. We want, we want you to stay, but I, I, want, I do want to warn you, we're going to spend some time. It's not a little short meeting. We need about an hour to begin to talk about where we are and God, where God would want to take us. And the question is, through the years, have we created barriers that are keeping us from all that God would want to do? 
Have we created barriers in our minds and in, in turn our lives where we have limited what God wants to do or could do through us. Well, here's the thing. It's kind of interesting. It's, a, it's an interesting theological point, and we're not going to belabor it this morning. But here's the problem that God has with us. He chooses to work through people. He chooses to work through people. The problem becomes when those people create barriers in their own minds and lives that keep God from doing what he wants to do. Now, it's possible in our church, oh, let me just say it's highly probable. I was being nice. It's possible we created barriers. We have created barriers that have kept us from doing all that God would want us to do. We can take a little bit of heart before we begin to cast stones on one another. It was also true in the early church, which is where we come to today, and we will come back to us at the end. The early church, for all that it had going for it, had created a barrier. Now, there may have been a number of barriers, but when we look at God's one big story, and, and quite honestly, it is my responsibility to take the Bible and to break it down this year into 50 sermons. That means we can't cover everything. It is my responsibility having studied it for all these years, to say, what are the major movements? What are the major events and people? What are the, the big, big ideas that we need to take from the Bible? Today we come to a big event. It is a transitional point, and I, I know I say that every Sunday, but we're, we're just covering the big ideas, quite honestly. This is a big idea. The church came to a point where God said, we're going to have to get past this barrier that you have created. And the barrier was the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. The early church had a prejudice. A prejudice. I think I mispronounced that. For emphasis, I don't know. The early church had a prejudice from their Jewish roots that they were bound to against the people that were not Jews. There was a barrier there. And there were reasons for this. It was due to the way that they saw the Old Testament law and that they were to be separate and distinct and holy. Maybe legitimately so. But you add to that their traditions about the way they were to engage or really not to engage, to be separated from those who were not Jews, who were unclean, so that if you engaged them and ate meals with them and you participated in business or things with them, you became unclean because they were unclean. So part of it was their traditions. Secondly, 
So their law, their traditions, and then historically what happens is they were persecuted by those non-Jews, Gentiles, and that's really what the word means. And you have a reference sheet at the end of your pew if you want to look at that. Some of these ideas are going to be recorded there and you're going to see that. But when we talk about Gentiles, uh, at least in the New Testament, that's a word that is technically uh, translated nations, but it is the word ethnos that we get our uh, word ethnic from. And so it talks about people groups, but from a Jewish perspective, to talk about the nations, the Gentiles, the ethnos, you were talking about anybody who was not a Jew. It didn't matter what nation you were from. You were not a Jew. Um, and so there was a separation. But it was God's plan that he would include all the families of the world in what he was doing redemptively. And we get that from the time of Abraham in Genesis 12 when the covenant with Abraham, he said, not only will I bless you but through you all the families of the world will be blessed uh, Jesus communicates this in Acts 1 8 when he says but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth do we have that scripture we can put up Acts 1 8 did I include that in my notes Ah, there it is. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That is partly a geographic commission in that Jesus said, we're going to take what God is doing in your life, but we're going to spread it out from, from Jerusalem, which was the starting point, to all Judea and Samaria, which was the region around Jerusalem, but it's going to go to the end of the earth. But it is not simply a geographic statement, commission. It is, uh, it is an ethnic commission. Really what Jesus was communicating is we're going to start with the Jews. And we're going to go to the region that most of the Jews are in, which is Judea. But we're even going to stretch the gospel to the Samaritans who are half Jews. But what Jesus was communicating is it's not just that we're going to reach the people who want to become a part of Judaism out there to the ends of the earth. No, we are going to reach people who are not even Jews. The commission is not only geographic, but it is also ethnic. But the church couldn't get it. In fact, the episode that we're going to be in in Acts 10 today uh, we, we dated, and you can see this on your sheet, in 38 B.C. Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, and Pentecost happened in 30 A.D. You may not get this reading the book of Acts, but when we come to Acts chapter 10, eight years have passed. Not eight weeks, not eight months. No, this has been going on for a long time, and they could not get past this barrier between Jews and Greeks. Now, if we just had to talk statistics, stats, and this, this is on your sheet. Um, I ought to have a sheet, shouldn't I? Uh, it is projected that in the first century, there were four million Jews out of a world 
worldwide population of 300 million. So it's, it's a little over 1% of the population were Jews. Now, the size of Judea and Samaria, or the country of Israel, is about 8,000 square miles. And if you took just the land area on earth, I think there, did I put that statistic down, that number down? I didn't put the number down. But the size of Judea and Samaria, obviously including Jerusalem, is one hundredth of one percent of the land area on the earth. Now, there's a reason I'm giving you these statistics. If they narrowed their mission to just Jews, an ethnic designation, they're only going to reach a little over 1% of the population of the world. That doesn't really sound like fulfillment of the, of the Great Commission that we're going to make disciples of all nations and we're going to take this to the ends of the earth. You understand? No, you've limited yourself. If you just take the land area uh, at this point in the book of Acts of Judea and Samaria, you've only spread the gospel to one hundredth of one percent of all the land area on the world. That doesn't sound like to the ends of the earth. Do you understand? It was because of the barrier they created between Jews and Gentiles. They had limited to a very small percent what God could do because they wouldn't break down that barrier. Now this morning, and I'm just going to pretty much read this story in Acts 10, and there's a lot of verses. Um, I want you to see what God does to break through this barrier. It almost, the more I studied it, it almost got funny. It's like God's like, no, I'm, okay, listen. I'm, it's kind of like, I'm going to have to send an angel here. I'm going to have to give a vision. All right, I'm just going to have to give an audible voice here. And then all of a sudden, I'm just going to have to give the Holy Spirit, and they're going to have to speak in tongues so you boys know this is the same thing that I did in you, I'm doing in them. That's just my take on it. I don't know. I identified seven things, and I put them on your sheet, that God almost did it of an extraordinary nature and said, I'm just going to have to do this because we have got to get past this barrier because we are eight years into this thing, and you guys still don't get it. You've only got to focus on 1% or less of the world, and that's not what I have. There's a test case. And it involves a man who is a purely non-Gentile, purely non-Jew, Cornelius. And God just picks Peter, the leader of the church, to go, Man, if I cannot get P Peter past this barrier, <laughs> then we're in trouble anyhow. So Peter, you're going to be a part of the test case. And I'm going to do something to get past this barrier. Would you read with me this morning? And then we're going to draw some conclusions at the end. I'm going to read the whole 10th chapter and then into the 11th chapter. Verse 1. Hey, it's, okay, so Steve, I noticed that this is in the ESV. I'm reading out of the New King James. Okay, so if you're watching the screens, it may, be, it may read a little bit different. It's the same story, all right? Verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea... Now, Caesarea is a port city and was the Roman headquarters or capital 
over Judea in those days. There was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornel called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So Cornelius is a purely pagan man, but he is religious. Notice in verse 3, the first thing that God does of an extraordinary nature to get past this barrier. God sends an angel to Cornelius. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. About 32 miles away, is also on the coast of a historical note. This is almost comical a little bit to me. This is the port city where Jonah the prophet, when God called him to go to the Ninevites, said, I don't think I'm interested in my assignment. And Jonah goes to Joppa to flee from God. I don't know if that had anything to do with what Peter's about to pass through, but you've got two, you've got two places you can go from here. You can't take a ship away from here, Peter. But learn from the Old Testament. It's going to get ugly. Or you can do what I called you to do. All right, Joppa. He is lodging with, verse 6, he is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel spoke to him, I'm sorry, and when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa, 32 miles away. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. When he had become very hungry and wanted to eat, then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. The second extraordinary thing God did to get past this barrier, he gave Peter a vision. I think visions are relatively rare. And I'm not saying God can't do it. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying it's not the normal way God works. But the second thing God does is I'm just going to have to give, I'm going to have to spell it out for Peter. And here comes the vision of a supernatural nature. And there was this sheet that came down. And the, the point is there were all kinds of animals. And according to Peter's Jewish scruples from the Old Testament, there were clean and unclean animals. There were animals, yes, he ate. There were animals he didn't eat. Verse 13. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again, the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. God appears as an, sends an angel to Cornelius. 
He sends a vision to Peter. The third thing he does is God audibly speaks to Peter. I think that's an extraordinary thing. I don't think God normally speaks audibly in the New Testament era, but he does here. He wants to make his message very clear. Uh, Verse 16, this was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. God was trying to teach Peter something through this vision and through his voice. Verse 17, now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, notice this, the Spirit said to him, not an audible voice, but a spiritual voice inside, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, which is a phrase that means to not show any prejudice, for I have sent them. So there's an angel, there's a vision, there's an audible voice. Then the Spirit speaks to Peter. The fifth thing that God does is God engineers the, by his hand the circumstances to bring those men together. Do you understand that two days before this, the angel appears to Cornelius to give the men time to go to Peter, and the very moment that the, Peter, the, the messengers from Cornelius are standing at the gate inquiring of Simon Peter, Simon has had this vision. Do you understand God engineering those circumstances to all come together? This is no coincidence. God's hand is putting together their lives for his purpose. It was another activity of God. And we see that in verse 21. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them On the next day, Peter went with them, and some brethren, there were six of them, from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, for I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And notice this statement in verse 28. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation of the Gentiles. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Peter, for all of his faults, figures it out. The vision was not about clean and unclean animals you can eat. The vision was about people. Peter, you've you've relegated people to clean and unclean, 
and your mission field is way too small. And Peter, we got to get past this. And Peter is able to articulate that in verse 28. Verse 29, therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, and he relates the story, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. That's the way he describes the angel. And said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. God is not prejudice. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he, both, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. So he talks about the cross. Him God raised up on the third day, the resurrection, and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, here's the gospel, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, and I've got to get to the sixth act of God, but it's in that when this is the aftermath of this is related in 1118. They said, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. That comes at this point between the first phrase and the second phrase of verse 44. What God does in that moment is God opened up their minds and hearts to see the truth of the gospel and to surrender their lives in repentance. God grants repentance to the Gentiles so that they heard the message of the gospel and their hearts were turned to Christ. But in verse 44 it says, But while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. This is the seventh act that God does to get them past this barrier that he pours out his Holy Spirit on them. And those of the circumcision, the Jews who believed, who were Christians, were astonished, as many as, as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out 
on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. They're going to say this later. It's the same thing that happened to us eight years before on the day of Pentecost. This is the Gentile Pentecost that God poured out his spirit and they spoke in tongues that were recognizable dialects at this occasion in Acts. It's the same identical thing that God did for us as Jews. He's done it to the Gentiles who are not even Jews. Wow, that was the final and decisive event that God did and so it says in verse 40s I'm sorry then Peter answered verse 47 can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord then they asked him to stay a few days I want you to see the aftermath of this because this story was not just about Peter but it was about the early church now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea this is chapter 11, verse 1. Heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, and I won't read it, but he tells the story again. Anytime the story is told twice or three times in the book of Acts, Luke is saying, this is important. And so he tells it again. Pick up the story in verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard those thi these things, they became silent. The criticism stopped. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Seven things God does to break through this barrier. It was not just that God was working on Peter, but he was working on the whole church, and so it eventually ends up. I'll be honest with you, you can read further in the book of Acts, and the church still struggles with this, in, this issue. And even though they knew the truth in their minds, it was so ingrained, this barrier that they had created, it was hard for them to understand uh, how to live out the implications of the truth that God had made known to them. They were so bound by the past that it was hard for them to break out, and they struggled living it out. And there's something that happens in the story that all of a sudden, I don't know if the, I'm trying to think, I'm almost thinking in the story of the early church in the book of Acts, well, there's one other instance I can remember in Acts 15. But basically, Peter kind of goes to the background. And who comes up? The man that Jesus encountered on the road to Damascus, who was to be called the apostle to the Gentiles, Saul of Tarsus. Because Saul got it. And he would preach the gospel to the Gentiles 
this is a major shift in the early church that the gospel went from the 1% to the 99 and it busted loose primarily through the Apostle Paul God chooses to work through people but when we create barriers we limit what God can do through us my question in the weeks and months to come is what barriers have we created in our church? It could be a mindset, an attitude that has become a part of our way of life that we are limiting what God, all that God would want to do in our midst. But this morning, won't you stand? You'll think that I'm about to finish my sermon if you stand not true you've got to get it down to you and I because the question becomes what barriers have I created in my life to keep God from doing all that God would want to do it could be something from our past that still hounds us that binds us it could be a present attitude. It could be something like, as deep as pride in our life. Something that because of that attitude, that mindset, it becomes a part of our lifestyle. And even though God wants to do so much more in our life, we limit Him because of the barrier that we set. What is it? It's possible in this moment, as a child of God, God says to you in this moment, it's this. God will never do everything through you until you get past this barrier. Uh, it's going to be something that we as a church as a whole have to deal with individually and then corporately. What do we have to get past? What's going what's to have to change in our lives? This morning, Byron and I are going to be at the front. Um, some of you know what that is. And you can, you can come and Byron and I can pray with you. You can come to the altar and pray. Um, whatever God would want you to do. Man, it... It may be today, today is your step of faith to say, I, I, today I profess my faith in Jesus Christ. And obviously you can't go on until you confess him before men. And you just come to say, today that's the step I'm taking. There, there may be some other decision. There may be some other issue. And you don't, may not need to talk to me about it. And that's completely all right. But come to the altar and get with God. And so, Father, today we pray that you would speak to us and you would work in our minds and hearts to show us those things that keep you from doing all that you'd want us to do. Father, today I pray that you would give us repentance that leads to life. And I pray it in Jesus' name.